Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. It's an exciting day. And really, before we jump into the passage, several passages today, I want to take a moment and just brag on our church. All right, to do that for a moment. Like yesterday, we had a service project. We did a backpacks for Bithlow, and we had somewhere between 30 and 40 of our people there to give out school supplies. And, and out of all the things we did, uh, we forgot something most crucial, and it's all my fault. We forgot any handout piece that we might have to tell them about our church. In fact, people just kept asking me, do we have any handout piece? And all I could think is, I'm such a failure. I forgot all this stuff. But God worked in a crazy way. I mean, through Kaylee and Marty, we were able to, to regain our, our QR code that we talk about often around here. And that when people came through the line at the end of it, Jamin and Marty and even Sherry Henderson, other people were doing incredible jobs having those people connect through our QR code. And it led to so many different gospel conversations. And so I just want to tell you, our church did an incredible job. And it wasn't just handing out school supplies. There was conversations being had. There was mom and dads that were being welcomed and loved on. We had several say, hey, now where did your church meet? And we began to tell them about it. But most importantly, we got a chance to talk about the only name that matters, and that's the name of Jesus. And so let's give a round of applause for those 30, 40 that showed up here today. They did a great job. Now, Many of you couldn't be there. You had other things going on. That's great. But I just want you to know the reason I want to take that moment is because we talk about this a lot, that our church, that serving is not what we do. It's what? Who we are, right? It's part of our DNA. And so maybe you couldn't come yesterday, but there's other opportunities for you to serve in a church. There's a place to serve for every single one of you because we believe in serving, we most look like Jesus. And if you believe that, say amen today, church. So today we're going to do something a little different. Today, last week, we wrapped up our series on uh, The Struggle is Real. In a couple weeks, we'll start a brand new series. And so I want to talk about something today that I've been praying about for about six weeks, something that's been on my heart, something that's been in the news for like the last eight weeks. It's one of these topics that we all kind of cringe a little bit. One of these topics we're all like, I'm not sure I stand on this. And, and so it's a topic that I feel like today, I want to bring it out because it's a topic that we all are aware of, but it's a topic that we all need a conviction on. And not a conviction based on opinions, not a conviction based on personal bias, not a conviction based on experience, but a conviction that's based on the truth of God's word. And so today, the topic I want to talk about is the issue of abortion, okay? Now, I know some of you immediately begin to sweat. I know, I know, but just uh, listen, today, can you just hear the heart of your pastor about what scripture says about this issue? Because this is a hot button issue in our world today. Do you agree with that? Is a hot button issue. And all of us bring something different to the table. Listen, but I know this, that everybody in the room, either directly or indirectly, has been impacted by this. Now, before we go any further, I want to say this. If you know somebody that has had an abortion, or if you yourself have had an abortion, I want you to know that God, God is not done with you, that there is forgiveness for you, that God has not written you off, that he still loves you, cares for you, and has a plan and purpose for your life. And I want you to know that. So no matter what we go through today, I just want you to know that God is not written you off. Now, when we think about the issue of abortion, it's important for us to have a biblical conviction. Now, over the last several many years, as I talk to people, and as this issue comes up, there's usually three things that always come up when you think about the issue of abortion. And it's usually stuff like, okay, Doug, well, what do we do in, in the case where a woman has been raped, right? That's, that's a big one, right? I mean, that's, that's a big issue. Okay, Doug, what do we do in the case where uh, the life of the mother is in jeopardy. I would say that's a big one, right? If, you, if, you have a, if you're married and your wife, would you, would you struggle with that one if, if the doctors told you? That? Sure you would. And then the other issue that sometimes we hear is, okay, well, what about if the child has, uh, is going to have extreme impairments, whether that be physical impairments or mental impairments? What, what in those situations? 
Now, I want to stand before you today and just say this. I've never had any of those conversations as it pertained to any of my kids. There was never a moment that we had a child because something happened to Sonia out of rape or something like that. Never had to deal with that. Never had a moment where uh, the doctors came in and said, yeah, if you have your child, Sonia's life is going to be in danger. I never had that conversation. I never had that moment where the doctors came and said, yeah, your child has got this issue. It's going to be a a physical or mental impairment. Maybe you ought to consider it. I've never had that issue. And I want to say all three of those issues are extremely horrific and traumatic. Can you agree with me on that this morning, church? All of those issues. I, I cannot empathize. I can sympathize, but I've not been in any situations. And so I want you to hear me say that those are traumatic issues, and I've never been through those. I can't imagine. Some of you may have gone through those. I can't imagine what you went through. But let me tell you what I do now. It's not something I learned on my own. It's something that I've, I've done a lot of reading on, stuff that I've learned uh, that's come from not just uh, medical journals, but things like from the CDC and other uh, reputable uh, institutions. I know with COVID, like, well, the CDC reputable. It is. Okay, so anyway, uh, so, some things that I've discovered is this. All abortions that are committed on average year that are reported, okay, so we know there's some that aren't reported, but out of the reported abortions, here's what statistics will tell us, that less than one half of 1% is a result of rape. Still horrific, right? Still horrific, traumatic. I can't imagine what those people go through, those women go through, and the PTSD they must have as a result of that. But at the end of the day, less than half of one, one half of 1%. When it comes to the life of the mother, now we're inching up to maybe closer to 1%. Of all abortions that are recorded, around 1% are those that the life of the mother could be in jeopardy. And then when it comes to physical or mental impairment, that jumps us up to about the 3 or 4%. So 3 or 4% of all parents that have kids may get that, that conversation where your child, if you have them, if you choose to bring them to, to term, they're going to either have a physical or mental impairment, and that means a lifetime of care and consideration you taking care of them. Three to four percent. That means at least 94.5 percent aren't a result of one of those three scenarios. In fact, here's what I also found out that kind of was troubling to me. Out of all the abortions that are recorded in the average year, over 80 percent of them occur for one of three reasons. One reason is I don't have the money to raise a child. Another reason is I didn't ever wanted to have kids. And a third reason is, and this is, what, this is what floored me, and it was between the women that were between the ages of 29 and 35 by and large. It was, hey, I've already had my kids. I didn't want to have any more. So when you think of those three scenarios, I would say as a man and as, as a Christ follower, I would say those are extremely selfish tendencies. And so when we think about the issue of abortion, over 80% of the reasons people have an abortion that's recorded is based on one of those three reasons. Now, why am I bringing these statistics up? Here's why. Because if we're going to build a conviction, listen to me, church, if we're going to build a conviction, let's not build our conviction based on the low percentage possibilities. Let's base our conviction on biblical truth. Are you with me on that one? Let's base our conviction on biblical truth. Then if the low percentage possibilities were to ever come our path, now, as we say a moment ago, now we have a foundation to stand on to help us make that decision. Right? So this issue of abortion, it is huge, and it's huge for all of us because my prayer is that we would rather build a biblical foundation than one based on those anomalies, based on those things that are low percentage. And so today, this conversation is important for us. It's important for us for two reasons. I'm going to talk about both these today. First of all, we need a biblical conviction. Some of you go, okay, I've always been pro-life, but you have no idea why you're pro-life. 
You have, if I ask you why you believe that, why, well, life matters. Well, yeah, it does. But you have no biblical basis for that. Today, I hope you leave with a biblical basis. And second of all, and maybe even almost as important, if there's ever a time since Roe v. Wade has ever overturned, I mean, for 50 years, I was born in 1973, so I don't remember all of it, but in 50 years, the church has been screaming, let's overturn Roe v. Wade, let's overturn, let's overturn, let's overturn. Well, it's been overturned, right? And so if there was ever a time for the church to start building bridges, not walls, it's right now. If there's ever time for us as Christ followers not to build walls with people who don't believe the way we believe, think the way we think, or have gone through this and feel condemned by us, now's the time for us to build bridges to those people, not walls. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen, church. So today, there's several things I want to do. I want to point out three biblical truths. I just want to walk through these. I want you to hear my heart as we go through these. Three biblical truths that should shape and dictate our conviction as it relates to the issue of abortion. Here's the first truth. All life is valuable to God. All life. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 1, we're going to be in different passages today, so it won't be in one spot, so I want you to follow me. I know we normally don't do that, but today we are. Jeremiah chapter 1, it says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I what? Come on, I what? I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this one verse, we're going to unpack it, but this one verse is an incredible verse that shows to us, that all, for, to all humanity, that all life is valuable to God. I mean, look what God told Jeremiah. He first of all said, I knew you. In other words, he's saying, listen, before God said, I, God knew him before he was. God knew him before he was. This word knew in the, in the Hebrew language, I love it, it's the word yada. And it means an intimate knowing. It doesn't mean a knowledge of. It doesn't mean just a casual knowledge. It's an intimate knowing. Like God knows us to the nth degree. But did you pick up on what God said to Jeremiah? He said, before you were, I knew you. In other words, before you were ever conceived, I knew you. Have you ever thought about that? Before you were ever conceived, Jeremiah, I intimately knew you. And I know the skeptic and all of us go, well, how is that possible? We weren't even conceived yet. How, it speaks to the foreknowledge of God, doesn't it? That even before a person is conceived, that God yadas them, that God intimately knows them. What does that mean, Doug? That means that God knows every head on our, a hair on our head. For some of us, that's not very many. He knows all those things. That God knows the number of our days. That God intimately knows every nuance about us before you were ever conceived. And that truth is the same truth for you and I today, too. Do you believe that? See, I know some of us, maybe you grew up and you were sitting around a campfire with your family or you were sitting around eating gator tail. I don't know what you're doing. We were sitting around and, and some people started joking and like, yeah, you know, so-and-so, we had our third kid and they're like 27 years apart and they were, oops. You know, listen, at the end of the day, I want you to know this. There is none of you that were an oops. There were none of you that were a mistake. You were always part of God's plan. God knew you. Listen, you need to know this today. God knew you before you were ever conceived, just like he knew Jeremiah. And then he goes on and says, not only did God know him, he says this. He said that God, said, God consecrated him before he was born. So before you were ever conceived, Jeremiah, I knew you. I knew everything about you. And oh, by the way, before you were born, I consecrated you. That word consecrated just basically means this. It means to be set apart are set aside for a purpose. Here's what he's saying, Jeremiah. 
Before you were conceived, I knew you. That, I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind, right? I mean, that just blows my mind that before, as my dad used to say, before there was a twinkling in his eye and mom and daddy got married and they shared the intimate moments of marriage, before that ever happened, God knew me. He knew Doug. He knew the hairs of my head. He knew the number of my days. He knew me better than I will ever know myself. But not only he know us, he said, not only does that, it's like, hey, I, God said I consecrated him. Meaning, I set Jeremiah apart. Now, we know what he set him apart for was to be a prophet to the nation of Israel, right? But the point is, like, I, look, Jeremiah, knowing that I know you, man, I've set you apart. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And that plan and purpose didn't come when you were, like, 13 years old and kind of figuring out what your interests were, what your, what your struggles were, what you kind of liked and you didn't like, the kind of person you were, your personality. I mean, I didn't base any of your plans and your purpose based on your personality, based on your interests, based on your likes. I based your plan and purpose on my foreknowledge that I had a plan and purpose for you before you were ever birthed into this world. Now think about that for a moment. The same thing's true for you and I. Did God know you before you were ever conceived? Did God know you before you were ever conceived? Yes. Did God set you apart and appoint a plan and a purpose for your life before you were ever born? Yes. Now, why is that important? Listen to me, because some of you are going to struggle with this. Listen to this. That means, because it's true for us, that God's purpose for the unborn trumps the circumstances surrounding conception. Did you hear me on that one? That means that God's plan and purpose for the unborn child trumps any circumstances surrounding that conception. He said, listen, now that I know you, I consecrated you. And then he says, I appointed you. God says, not only that, God said, I appointed him before you were born. That word appointed just means I put on. In other words, and it's kind of closely connected to consecrated. So God's like saying, not only did I set you apart, but I gave you the ability to do the very thing I set you apart to do. I love that because if God has called us to something, is God ever going to leave us out there hanging to dry as if we don't have the ability or the, or the, the wherewithal to do the very thing he's called us to do? No, God has always prepared us. Even before we were born, God prepared us. For example, when I was a kid, when I was a, a young child, even to a teenager, I was very shy, very bashful. The idea of speaking in front of public at any level scared me to death. But did God put something in me, even before I was born, that would lead me to the point where I was able to fill the purpose he has for me right now? Yes. Now, why am I laboring this? Because I want everybody in the room to know that all life is valuable. That God knew you before you were ever conceived. That God set you apart and gave you a plan and a purpose for your life before you ever entered this world. And not only that, but he gave you the ability to do the very thing. He has a plan and a purpose for you long before you were born. Which means this. If all life is valuable, hear me. If all life is valuable, that means no life is expendable. Did you hear me on that? If all life is valuable, that means no life is expendable. So the first truth I hope you get is this, is that all life is valuable to God. Second truth is this, all life is given by God. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, some of you, I think I've lost you. Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm going to punch that pastor when I leave today. Listen, I want you to stay with me. Because listen, we live in a world that is so cynical. We live in a world that so undermines the value of life. And if the church doesn't rise up, we're going to keep getting worse. 
The church, I mean, if there was ever a moment the church has a platform to say life is valuable, that the, the Supreme Court of the United States, at least at the minimal level, even though it still goes to the states, at the minimal level said life values, we have something to stand up and to shout and to declare because there are people out there that are hurting, that are lost, that are broken, that are struggling, and they can go, your life matters too. If all life is valuable, guess what that means? You're part of all life. And I'm just telling you, we've got to get this truth because if there's ever a moment for the church to stand up and to declare this, it's right now. See, when Roe v. Wade was still in act, it was churches and people and Christians stand up protesting. Turn up, well, now what are we going to do? It's been overturned. We applaud, whoo, that's great. Now what are we going to do? Well, now I believe the real work really begins, right? So the idea is that we all life is valid. Second thing is that all life is given by God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you know this, it says this. So God created man. Pause. God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. In other words, God is the creator. He is the creator of all life. He is. Well, I know it's some of you because you're really smart. You're going, no, 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 Doug. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's this little thing, you know, an egg and a sperm. And when it's fertilized, that, that, that's when creation really begins. Listen. God uses human biology, but don't make any mistake about it. He is the creator. He's the one that put those things in motion. He's the one that created us so that we were able to do that. But he is the creator. Do you believe that this morning? He creates all things. He spoke the world to existence, and he creates all things. He is the creator of all life. And knowing that, he says this, that he creates us in his image. That doesn't mean you look like God, thankfully, right? It doesn't mean that at all. But it means that we are created in the likeness of God, that we were created to reflect him. We have a spirit, and he is spirit. We have a morality that knows the difference in good and evil, and he knows the difference in good and evil. We, we have this, this social connection that we have a need to belong. The fact that there's a triune God sows their sense of community, even among our Godhead. So we are made in his image. Listen, if God is the creator, hear me. That's what this means. If God creates life, that means life begins at conception. I'm just looking for people to go, I'm with you on that one, Pastor. Life begins at conception. The moment fertilization happens, life begins. Right? That's the way God designed it. Life begins that way. Now listen, that's not just me saying it. That's not just the word, word of God saying it. There are tons of scientific journals out there that are saying the same thing. In fact, the American College of Pediatrics says that life begins at conception. I mean, this is a secular medical college and journal, and even they're saying life begins at conception. Princeton University has published an article that also says that life begins at conception. And we know this is true, don't we? Because you read scripture, remember when Mary found out she was pregnant with the son of God and she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth and she gets there. What happens to the baby in Elizabeth's womb? It jumps. It leaps. I don't think that was heartburn. I don't think that was acid reflux. I think there's a real person inside of her who leapt because he knew that he had a plan and a purpose to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the savior of the world. All life begins at conception. And you know what else science teaches us? That at conception, what they would call an embryo, we call a child, at conception, they immediately have a DNA and a blood type. Did you know that? At the moment, let's come on, come on, come on, follow me. At the moment of conception, 
When the, the sperm fertilized egg, at the moment of that conception, that child, they'll call an embryo, but that child has a DNA and has a blood type. You know what that means? It is a person right then and right there. So he is the creator of all life. He creates, right? He's the creator, and at the moment he creates, life begins at conception, and at conception we know that that life that has begun has a DNA. It has a blood type. It is a real person. But not only is he the creator of life, listen to this, he's the crafter of all life. Look with me in Psalms 139. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Psalms 139, a very familiar passage. Listen to this. I love this. He says this, verse 13. For you form me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Anybody have a grandma that used to knit? Crochet? Okay. I praise you, for I am what? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that you were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. In other words, listen, he says this, that you are the great crafter. You have knit me, formed me, and knit me together in my mother's room. I remember watching my grandma. My grandma was a very talented individual. She would crochet, she would knit, and then I don't know what you call it, but she would make doilies. You know what doilies are? Yeah, my house was filled full of those nasty things. So anyway, so, and after a while, they turn yellow. I don't know if you know that or not, but they turn yellow. But anyway, she would do all this, and I, I just, as I read this verse, I just imagine my grandma sitting there with her, like, basket full of yarn, just crocheting an afghan, and how intricate she would weave, I don't know what I'm doing, but she would, she would intricately weave that together, and I would watch her. And then she would, she, she would like pull some of that because it wasn't exactly the way she wanted it, and she would go back to it. See, I love that. See, when you look at you and your life, God not only created you, but he crafted you. I know some of us wish we had a little less crafting, but he crafted you, right? He intricately wove you together in your mother's womb. You know what that says to me? That speaks to the intricate involvement of God, not just in speaking creation, but putting his hands in being the creator. He is the creator and the crafter. I asked Sonia when we were in college, um, she took a class for teaching, and part of it was they'd made pottery. I'm not really sure why, but they made pottery. And she made this, by the way. That's where you say, oh, that's pretty. She's not convinced. I'm just going to tell you that. I remember she brought it home. I'm like, what is it? She goes, I guess we'll call it a pinch pot. I'm not really sure. But anyway, she made it. And she told me about the wheel with the clay and the molding that went on. And how she had to put her hand in there to create the interior of the clay. And then they had to take the clay, right? You don't just, you don't just make it. Then you have to do what to it after you, after you shape it? What do you do? You have to bake it, right? You have to bake it to make it. The very thing this day. Now, here's one thing I can promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is not another one like this in the world. I mean that in a great way. I don't know what you're laughing at. She created it. And she crafted it. That's exactly what our Heavenly Father's done with us. He's the creator of all life. And he's crafted every single one of us.
So not only is all life valuable to God, but God is the giver of all life too. And that leads me to the third thing, the third truth. And this truth is really a truth that's kind of the natural conclusion of the first two. The first point of the idea that, you know, think about it, that, that God, that all life is valuable. He knew them before they were conceived. He, he consecrated and appointed them before they were born. That God is the creator of all life. That he's the one at conception, life happens. He's the one that gives in the very blood type and the very uh, DNA at the moment of conception. That he is the giver of all life. But the third point is this. Therefore, all life must be protected. Right? Isn't that the natural conclusion? If all life is valuable, and God is the giver of all life, should life be protected? Yes. Now, I want to say something to you that you may have never thought of before. Something that someone said to me a little over a year ago that has really rocked my world to some level. And they said this to me, you pro-life people, <laughs> all you care about is the womb. And immediately in my spirit, the Holy Spirit was like, that's all we ever talk about. And so what I want to say to you, that if, if all life must be protected, that means all life from the womb to the grave is valuable. From the womb to the grave should be protected. Do you believe that this morning? Because we got people in nursing homes and facilities that are written off, that are ostracized, that we're ready to be done with those people. Listen, all life, if it is valuable, and if all life has been given by God, all life from the womb to the grave needs to be protected. Why? Because we live in a world that's numb to the value of life. Now, through my research, and these ladies I'll introduce in a minute might have a little bit better than I do, there's been since 1973 almost, at least approaching, 63 million abortions that have been done. Let me put that in context. 63 million babies who God knew before they were ever conceived have been aborted. 63 million babies that God had set apart with a plan and purpose for life before they were ever born, have been aborted. 63 million babies that God had given the ability to carry out that plan and purpose have been aborted. 63 million babies who God fearfully and wonderfully handcrafted in their mother's womb and gave them a plan and a purpose who had a DNA and a blood type have been aborted. 63 million Lives have been taken. But that's just the womb. Did you know this? That since about, I guess the statistic was that as of middle of Jan July of this year, 2022, just the year 2022, as the, of the middle of July of 2022, there have already been over 300 mass shootings. Do you think our world values life? No. What does that mean for us? That means if life, all life needs to be protected, that simply means this, that we must at every turn, at every possibility, we must be an advocate for life. And are you going to advocate for life? Is it valuable to you? Do you realize that God created all life? And are we going to protect it? Are we going to advocate for it? So as we end this morning, here's what I want to say to you. Where do we go from here, right? As we think about that all life matters to God and is valuable, as we think about that God has created all life, as we think about how it all must be protected, where do we as a church, where do we as followers of Jesus, where do we go from here? And there's four things, and I want to challenge you to write these down, four things I want us to do. Here's the first one I want us to celebrate. I want us to celebrate that for the first time in 50 years, at least at a minimal level, our country said that life does matter. 
and they overturned Roe versus Wade. Let's celebrate that, right? You want to celebrate that one? We should, right? Let's celebrate. The second thing I want to say to you is this. Let's make sure that we build a biblical conviction. Because some of you, even as I've been talking, you come up, you're coming up with the loopholes. You're coming up with the emotion of. You're coming up with the bias that you feel. Well, Doug, you just don't know about this. Well, you're right. I probably don't. But what I do know is this word is truth. And I believe it. And I believe this book tells me that all life is valuable, that now is it valuable that God is the creator of all life, and that it must be protected. I believe this book. Now, you may not believe this book, and that means we're not going to be able to sit at the same table, having the same conversations, but I really believe this stuff. And so I want to make sure that we're building biblical convictions, not based on our preference, our bias, but what does God's word say? Because isn't he the final authority? Yes. Third thing I want you to write down. Let's build bridges, not walls. Here's what I mean. We have two organizations here with us today. Some sweet, sweet ladies. One representing Commission 127, wave over there, Commission 127. And the other one representing Thrive, wave over there. Yep. We have two organizations. Let me tell you a little bit about those because in a minute, I'm going to tell you how we can build bridges, not walls. Thrive is an organization that probably daily, is daily fair to say, has ladies come in that are wrestling with the very decisions that we're talking about. Is life valuable? What should I do with this baby? I can't afford it. Maybe I don't want it. Whatever the case may be, whatever the reasoning is, they deal with ladies and try to nurture them and encourage them and point them to making the right decision. Every day. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you can meet with these ladies who are broken and are hurting, who are struggling, and try to point them the right way just to, just to live in that 24-7. I, I don't know. I mean, we should be praying for you a ton in that because that's a huge undertaking. Every single day, they're going through that. But every day, they're nurturing them. They're shifting them. They're pointing them in the right direction of what the possibility, the possibility of adoption. Hey, have the baby, but give it up for adoption. And, you know, and so that's, that's one thing. Thrive is incredible for that. And then we have Commission 127. And here's what they're all about. They're all about, you know, all across, and even in our subdivision, there are tons of families that are fostering kids. Kids that are either unwanted, uncared for, are not take, you know, that they're just kind of out there. They're fostering those kids, but they have no support. And so Commission 127 gives churches and individuals the possibility to foster, foster families. Is that okay way of saying that? To foster, foster families. And here's how we're going to build bridges, not walls. Two ways. Number one, let's partner with some agencies like this. Maybe when we're done here in a minute, they have some tables set up that on your way out, I want you to stop and say, how can I as an individual partner with Thrive? How can we come in and literally show up and partner with you? How can we partner with you as a, as a church body? How can we partner with you? Commission 127, how can I as an individual or the church partner with your ministry to make a difference so that everybody knows all life is valuable and that all life is given by God and I'm going to do my part to protect life and to advocate it everywhere that I can. That's one way we build bridges, is by partnering with people like them. The second way is by loving on people who've been through it. I don't know about you, and I don't want to speak too much into my own life, but it's true. I tend to make judgment calls really quick on people. Anybody else like that? There's three of you that are honest, the rest of you, right? <laughs> and I think sometimes I've been in circles that we've talked terrible about people who've had abortions. And can I just tell you, I can't imagine, and maybe you all deal with this and you can speak to it, I can't imagine someone who's gone through that and the guilt they feel, the remorse they feel, I can't imagine that. But what I do know is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be pointing them toward the love and the grace of a holy God. One that loves them, cares about them, and can forgive them of anything they've ever done. 
And so I just want to say as your pastor this morning, yes, I want us to build biblical convictions, but that's not enough for me. I want us to leave here in just a moment committed to build bridges, not walls. And here's the last thing I want us to do. You ready? Last thing. And the most important of all of it, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for ladies who've gone through it, pray for healing, pray that God would open their eyes and bring him, reveal himself to them. I want us to pray for ladies that are trying to make that decision, that God would open their eyes and that they would make the right decision and, and be drawn to God and, and protect life. I want us to pray that we as a church, as followers of Jesus, would build biblical convictions on this issue. And I want us to pray that we would be a church known for building bridges, not walls. I want us to pray. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and today caught you off guard by a lot. You're like, this is my first time here. What in the world? This church, listen, I want you to hear my heart this morning. This is a humongous issue. But I know this, that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to hear this truth today. Your life matters too. And not only does your life matter, your eternity matters. And maybe as I've been talking this morning, there's been something pricking your heart this morning going, my life matters, and God, he, you, mean, you mean me? He created me? Yes. And not only that, guess what? He wants a relationship with you. And maybe this morning, you need to say yes to him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you all stay. Everybody stay with me if you would. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to lead us into a time this morning of prayer. Let's all stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I thank you for this moment we've had. And God, I pray as we went through this that our folks felt an element of grace and truth together. As I said at the beginning, Lord, I don't, I don't know how those people feel. I don't never been confronted with this in my life. But I know the truth of your word transcends any circumstance. So God, I pray for us as followers of Jesus, those of us that know you, that we could declare proudly today that all life is valuable to you. That we could be blown away this morning that you knew us intimately before we were even conceived. That before we were born, you had a plan and a purpose and already began to prepare us to carry out those plans and to carry out those purposes, even before we came into this world. God, I pray as believers, we can leave here today knowing that all life has been given by you. You are the giver and sustainer of all life. That you are our creator. And you are our crafter. We are your craftsmanship this morning. But God, because of those two truths, I pray that we would realize all life needs to be protected. We need to advocate for life everywhere we can. And not just in the womb, but all the way to the grave. So God, would you help us this morning? Maybe there's someone here today that doesn't know you, Lord. May you, may you just remind them that not only is the life of the unborn valuable, but their life is valuable. Their eternity is valuable. You created them so that maybe they would come to know you and to be in relationship with you. And I pray today, maybe, Lord, those people would surrender to you. God, would you just speak to us this morning? Would you move only as you can? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Now, everybody look this way. I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do.
But maybe I'm asking you this because I want a, I want a moment of solidarity in our church, in our East Campus. I'm going to ask you to pray. And I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. And maybe all of you can't do it. I know this is a very uncomfortable stage. The wood, the tile, my knees hurt. I get all that. But if you feel led in just a moment, as the band begins saying, I'm going to ask, I would love for our church as the best we can to make our way to the front, to get on our knees before God and say, Lord, I'm praying for those women. I'm praying their eyes will be open. I'm praying for those who've had an abortion, that God, you'll bring healing and restoration and open their eyes. God, I'm praying that we would build biblical convictions in our church and in our lives. God, I'm praying that our church will be known for building bridges, not walls. And if you're physically able this morning, I'm going to ask our church, would you in a moment just join me at the front and let's just take that to the Lord. And if you're not physically able, just stay right where you're at. Maybe you want to sit down. Maybe you want to kneel at your chair. I don't care. But I want to spend some real time this morning going to the throne of grace and asking God to do a work in our lives so that we can do a work in the lives of others. So as the band leads us, as you feel led, I encourage any and all who want to, to join me at the altar.